Well, hey, here's another extra podcast from your friends at Books of the Year. He's yes. Matt and I'm Simon. And uh, a couple of days ago, we put out our chat with Lee Child, uh-huh. who we enjoyed very much. And we also did a Q&A. We put out the Q&A after the main interview just to see what you think. Absolutely, because really. it's like freeform jazz. We're just try- we're working it out as we go along. F- is it really? It is fr- exactly okay. the same as freeform jazz. All right. Yes. Uh, if you say so. Um, before we get to the Q&A, here's an email from Helen. Um, Helen Colin Fichtel, who's listening in uh, Winnenden in Germany. Just wanted to say, I wondered how this got through, just wanted to say how fabulous the podcast fabulous. is. Fabulous! It's a real pleasure to listen to each week. Funny, entertaining and informative. <laughs> Five stars Five from stars. me. My suggestion for the questions which you ask the authors would be this. Is there a book which you read when you were younger, especially thinking of books we had to read at school, which you reread as an adult and felt completely different about? For me, it's Wuthering Heights, which we did for English lit A-level. I didn't get it at all. I thought it was convoluted, too long and totally over the top. Then we read it in my book group 25 years later and OMG, I think I (laughs) cried. Yes, Matt, I actually cried. I was so moved by it. It was completely wasted on my 17-year-old self. Very much looking forward to future podcasts. Can't wait to hear who's on next. Well, it's Ian Rankin. Yeah. Well, it's Lee Child in a minute, and then it's Ian Rankin. So it is. that's. So, is there ever a book? There I, is. I, I tell you, the book that I, I reread, although I did enjoy it when I read, read it at school, and that's To Kill a Mockingbird. You remember when the sequel came out, or the re, really mm-hmm. a prequel came out uh, a couple of years back, and I read that, and I, I realised there were uh, parts of. What people tend to forget about To Kill a Mockingbird is that there are a bit parts of it that are really, really funny, just very funny. But it's never obviously been sold as that. It's never in. The, in the public perception, it's not seen as a as a as a funny book, but it is very funny. And when I was reading that prequel, it reminded me of that. And so I thought, right, I'm going to go back and I'm going to read that again. And I did, and it is. It, it was just great. Uh, if anything occurs to you uh, on any subject, on that subject or anything else you'd like to tell us about, it's books of the year at yahoo.com. Stand by more with Lee Child after this. Okay, so let's do our legendary Q&A with the legendary Lee Child. Hello, Lee. How are you? Very nice to see you again, of course. Good to see you too. And I'm not bad for an old guy. That's what I'm saying now. Not bad for an old guy. Yeah. But you're looking as trim and as healthy as ever. And your diet is astonishing. And, you know, you're a picture of health. His but, diet's yeah. astonishing. What is your diet? My diet is m- mostly cigarettes and coffee. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And, uh, occasionally, I, I've just rediscovered those tea cakes. There was some big thing in the paper about how suddenly the, I, those... I remember them as a kid. They have, like, foil wrapping, and they're all sort of gooey, and they're suddenly popular again. So I bought 10 last night, and I'm about halfway through it. <laughs> <laughs> cigarettes, <I> caffeine, get... <laughs> and tea cakes. Obviously, the uh, the main interview about uh, Lee's book will be uh, in in the other podcast. But can I just ask a question, just as it could be, did Reacher ever smoke? Yes, he did. There's a reference to, uh, in one of the prequels, there's a ref- he does smoke, and they're in Paris, and they go to the Rue Jean-Nico, and Nico is the guy that isolated nicotine in the, the first time around. But he, he quit not because of health or anything like that. He quit because he didn't want to have to carry the cigarettes and the lighter, which is very much part of his character, that he, you know, his reason for quitting would be convenience rather than health. 
it's not really much of an encumbrance to, to carry around a packet of fags and a box of matches. <laughs> but it kind of is, Simon, because I remember I quit for 10 months back in the 80s. And that was the thing that I noticed. It was great to be able to walk out the door without doing that thing where you pack oh, your yeah. pocket and check you've got them and have you got enough in the pack and all of that. Okay. Uh, that was a big liberation for me, but sadly I went back to it. Okay. But, but, but Reach has quit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so here come, here come the Q&A questions. Uh, Lee, what was the last book you really, really enjoyed? Well, really, really raises the bar high. I mean, really enjoyed, there's a whole bunch of them, but really, really enjoyed, that is going to be a very special book. And I would say probably it's a book called The Lost by Daniel Mendelssohn, which was, uh, it's a whole rumination on storytelling. It's about, uh, there's a lot of Old Testament stuff. There's a lot of Greek stuff because he's a classicist, this guy. But really what it's about is he was a Jewish guy in New York. And like a lot of such people, he has elderly relatives down in Florida. And as a young boy, he remembers going down to Florida and he would walk into the room as a sort of seven or eight year old. And all these old ladies would burst into tears because he so resembled the only member of the family that did not get out of Europe in time uh, prior to World War II. And so ha with this in his background, he then, he then wanted to find out what happened to this great uncle of his, I think. Um, great uncle, his wife, and, and their four children. The subtitle of the book is The Lost, the story of six of six million. What happened to this one particular family back in the old country? And it sort of established what we're now calling the third generation memoir, where somebody that tries to trace a, an older person in their family, what happened to them. And it's a horrifying story, uh, you know, a Holocaust story. This this family perished in Ukraine. and uh, But the way he does it is just, it's a big, heavy, thick book. And it reads like a detective story. It's a thriller. He is absolutely searching out the truth. Okay, oh, and well, it's, well. so it's called The Lost by... Daniel Mendelssohn. Is, is there a book you remember being read to you as a child? No, because that didn't happen to me. I mean, my folks were certainly incredibly respectful of books. We had books in the house. Books were the only thing, really, that we were encouraged to spend money on. Uh, but they didn't read. I don't know why. You know, every family is different. There was none of that bedtime story thing. But maybe too many kids. They'd have been doing it for hours. So uh, we learned, on, learned to read and read by ourselves. Wow. Uh, the book you would love to step inside of. I guess this is about world creation, really. Yeah. I, uh, the one that I really, really remember loving, I was uh, at primary school, I think, and I was home sick with something, probably had tonsillitis, and I found a book on my parents' shelves called The White Rajah by Nicholas Montserrat. And he's the guy that wrote The Cruel Sea. He was a <clears throat> big novelist in the 50s. And, I mean, it's horrendous in its sort of colonialism. But the story is there were these two brothers, the good brother and the bad brother. And naturally, I identified with that. The old, my elder brother is the good brother. <laughs> and the parents die. Um, he inherits everything, you know, the house, the title, and all of this kind of stuff. The bad brother inherits a, a box which contains two pistols, two flintlock pistols. And this younger brother then sets out on this voyage around the world. He's with pirates at some point. He ends up in this 
uh, isolated island that I assume is somewhere in the Caribbean. And he has this life of total adventure. And then the new governor is sailing from Britain. And there's a lot of tension on the island. And uh, of course, the new governor arrives and it's the elder brother. Um, that was the first sort of, oh, my God, plotting <laughs> moment that I can remember. It was a great surprise. But I totally identified with that younger brother, and that's the world I would like to step in, especially the pirate part. He just had such a great time. Is there an ending to a book that you'd love to change? I think I would change the ending of Brideshead Revisited. Um, it's a book I love, but what happens at the end in Evelyn Waugh's version is that um, Julia Flight and Charles Ryder break up um, because she's racked by Catholic guilt uh, her father dies and she just becomes overwhelmed with the idea that she should not have had this adulterous relationship with Charles. And so they split up and he's left to a life of misery and loneliness. And I suppose she is too. I just felt it deserved a happier ending. And I, it's very rare for me to want a happy ending, but I just think after that saga, yeah, they should be happy all the rest Isn't of it, their You're lives. not the first person to say, I wanted a happy ending. I'd like a happy ending in this book, please. So. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot to be said for that because that's what books are for in a way, you know, because we have the unhappy endings in our real life or the no endings, you know, the kind of just, it, just nothing ever happens, nothing ever gets resolved. And we turn to books because we want things to be resolved. And so, yeah, I think everybody wants a happy ending, if at all possible. Yeah. In fact, we kind of want a Jack Reacher to sort it out if it's not being <laughs> sorted out. We do. Um, is there a book you'd like to write the sequel to? No, I would never write a sequel because I, I, for the same reason I would never write uh, nonfiction. And I would also ne probably never do what you did, which is to to write a novel about a specific real circumstance because... I just want to make it up. You know, if something is inconvenient, you have to deal with that. I, I, I don't want to deal with it. I just want to change it. <laughs> and so the idea of stepping into somebody else's universe and uh, being limited by their previous choices, I'm not sure I could do it. Uh, this is a question that is entirely dependent on your honesty, Lee. Uh, when you're reading a book, how long do you give it until you say, this is not for me? I, uh, I used to stick it out to the end. Uh, really? Yeah, because wow. I, I, you know, I grew up with that kind of middle class deference towards books. And I felt that if I wasn't enjoying it, that was my fault. And then it was, I was probably in my 30s before I thought, you know what? No, it's not my fault. It's the <laughs> author's fault. And so then I became happy to stop. And now you can, it depends. Dialogue for me is the thing that gives it away. People can either do it or they can't do it. And it is almost impossible to define what is good or bad in dialogue, but you can tell right away. So the first clunky line of dialogue, which might be, a third of the way down the first page. You know, if it's bad, then, yeah, that book's gone. Otherwise, I will keep going until something uh, really sort of stops me. But often it doesn't, you know. I read, I read an awful lot, and the intimidating thing for an author is that there are so many good books out there. Uh, it's hard to stop reading them. What is the first book you bought with your own money? Literally, with my own money, it would be a very lurid imported paperback that I found in in a, a record store in Birmingham. It, this was about 1969, I think, back when head shops and imported record shops were a thing. You know, they would have tie-dye T-shirts and loon pants and all that cool. kind of stuff and records and books. And I found this 
unbelievably lurid-looking paperback called The Damned and the Destroyed. Oh, good title. By, <laughs> yeah, by, uh, by a guy called Kenneth Orvis. And the strap line was, uh, she was blonde, she was a junkie, I had to help her. And it was just irresistible to a 14-year-old. <laughs> And actually, it turned out to be not lurid at all. It was a very solid thriller from Canada uh, that I really, really enjoyed. But it, it was slightly false advertising, but yeah, it was a good book. Is there a book that you've ever used to try to impress someone? I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever met anybody that would be impressed by a book, <laughs> you know, apart from being sort of whacked over the head with it, maybe. But uh, no, I mean... Um, it was when I was a little kid, everybody read because there was nothing else to do. Um, so the idea that you would read and people would be impressed by that, it's like breathing. Everybody was doing it. And since then, now, because you're going to, I mean, who are you going to try and impress? And you probably picked the wrong book anyway, and they think you're a complete wanker. So, uh, <laughs> you know, why bother? <laughs> Uh, which book do you wish you had written? Maybe, maybe there isn't one, but you know it could be for artistic reasons or respect. Or I was going to say, often we say for financial well, reasons. Not, yes, <laughs> when you're talking to each child, that kind of doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah, I I think uh, in a way that's a bit like saying. I mean, I could totally give you an answer for a movie. I wish I'd written the movie Seven because it was just so internally logical and then so brave to continue that internal logic to the end. In terms of novels. Sophie's Choice, probably, by William Styron, because I, I think that's just, it's a magnificent novel. It, it's more than one book in, uh, all in one. You know, it's a World War II novel, it's a European novel, an American novel, a New York novel, a Southern novel, all tied up together. And it's, it feels very, very patient. He never rushes anything. It's quite relaxed in its style, but it is intensely suspenseful. And you just got to know what was the choice that Sophie had to make. Uh, I think it works on every level. And if I had a book like that in my resume, I could die a happy man, I think. Uh, Lee, thank you very much, Steve, for doing our Q&A. Lee's book is Past Tense. And if you look around from your normal podcast provider, you will find our conversation with Lee all about his current book. Lee, always good to see you. Thank you. Well, thanks to Lee Child for a very informative Q&A. He'd obviously put some serious thought into that. He had, yes. No, and, and so so illuminating into the world of Lee Child. And we'll, he'll yeah. probably be back in a year. I yes, think. with something else fabulous yes. again. Uh, Ian Rankin is our next guest. Stand oh, by yeah. for that. Thank you very much, Lee, for downloading. Tell your friends. Review us on iTunes. Five and, stars. And go ahead and subscribe all your mates. Yes, and also use all the products that we advertise, please. Yes, so absolutely. They'll keep advertising with us. I'm going to now just go for a shave and to read, <laughs> and to read Michelle Obama's book in WH Smith. Yes, with Yoko Ono and The Economist. All of that. <laughs>